Give your Bibles and you can stand with me, please. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. God is good all the time. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We'll pick it up in verse 29. Are you there yet? Say amen. Amen. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, and they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, there shall be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top Of a mast. They have stricken me, shall thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Father, I need your help this morning. There's no way I can do this on my own. And Lord, more than anything else, I want to be true to your word. And I pray, Lord, we'll allow the Spirit of God to speak to our heart about this important issue, Lord. I pray, God, you would challenge us today with your word and more than anything else, draw us near to your heart that we might recognize your will for our lives. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in the precious name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. The Christian and alcohol. Here in Proverbs 23, is the longest and most detailed warning against drunkenness. <clears throat> In our text, we read again last, again today from last week, there are six questions that are asked. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Six pointed questions. And all six questions point to problems. Some are, and most are problems. Woe and sorrow. Some are physical problems, wounds from beatings, bloodshot eyes. But all of these are the result of lingering long over wine and mixed wine. I I know Jason's in the back with Junior Church, but I had to laugh this morning to myself. He had to reach my Isaiah 55 of all places. Oh, let him who is served to come buy water, wine, and milk. 
without a cause. But it's part of the scripture, amen? But the Bible is very clear about this, and we're talking about, of course, drunkenness here. And the Bible is clear that it seems attractive. I mean, it's a beautiful red color, I guess. I've never drank wine, so I don't know about that. It's, smart, it's sparkling, it's smooth. I remember some years ago, when the Hortons were still living, and we went to their 50th wedding anniversary, and they had some uh, champagne there for, the, for them two to take a drink of. And before she would drink it, she looked at me and said, Pastor, it's non-alcoholic. She was so concerned about what I might have thought about that. But there's no doubt about it. It, it. it certainly looks pleasant to the sight, to the taste. But the Bible says it can be as dangerous as a snake bite. As dangerous as a snake bite. We know that excessive drinking drunkenness can lead to mental problems. In fact, Proverbs says you'll see strange things, perverse things. You'll hallucinate. You'll be off balance as you walk. You'll bump into things. You'll imagine yourself like a sailor walking on or trying to sleep on top of a a mast of a ship. Can you imagine trying to do that? You're in a sense of the pain. And yet, even when you come out of your stupor, your answer is, give me another drink. Both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament warn against the dangers of alcohol use and especially drunkenness. Drunkenness, all it ever does is produce recklessness, debauchery, Dissipation. And so in our text this morning here in Proverbs, the warning of becoming drunk with wine is very, very clear. I did a little bit of a word study this past week, and I don't mean to bore you, but I think it's important pertaining to where we'll be going today and along with next week. The most common Greek word for wine is oinos. In fact, everywhere you read of wine in the New Testament except one place, the Greek word is oinos. In the Hebrew, there are several words for wine, but the most common is yain. And according to the Jewish encyclopedia, yain refers to mixed wine. There are also, like I said, a number of different names in the Hebrew. Again, the most common guy in. Another word in the Hebrew is tirash. And according to what I read from a Jewish encyclopedia just this past week, tirash refers to something less than significantly fermented wine. It's used 38 times in the Old Testament. Another Hebrew word for wine in the Old Testament is kamar. It is used six times. And it refers, it means to boil. It means to foam up. It means to ferment. So it's definitely talking about fermented wine. 
There's another word in the Hebrew text used for wine, and it's the word shakar. And the word itself means to be come drunk. And so normally it's translated as strong drink. And it refers to strong drink. But let me clarify something here, okay? And again, there's a couple other words in the Hebrew text that are used for wine. But whether you have wine, oinos, ayayin, or something stronger than wine, unmixed, every one of these have the potential to make you intoxicated. Every one of them. And again, oinos, the word for wine in the New Testament, it definitely has an intoxicating potential. And that's why there are so many warnings in the scriptures against drunkenness. One of the older Jewish encyclopedias still in use today, they distinguish yanin, which is wine, from shakar, which is strong drink. And according to that encyclopedia, the difference is made on how much alcohol content is, is in whatever wine it is. So when they wrote that encyclopedia, they were aware of the potential wine has for drunkenness. And because wine was so common in both the Old and New Testament, the Bible gives many, many warnings about drunkenness. And we'll think about negatives on alcohol, and I'm not going to refer to all of them because there are at least 75 warnings about the dangers of alcohol in the Word of God. In Genesis 9, you know the story of Noah. He became drunk, and it resulted in immorality and family trouble. In Genesis 19... Lot's daughters were afraid of dying without children. They got their daddy so drunk, they committed incest. Immorality. Also, what's interesting, and I didn't realize that until I did this study, and I know I've read it before. I've read through the Bible multiple times. But I didn't realize, according to Deuteronomy 29, verse 5 and 6, when Israel was traveling for 40 years, God did not allow them to have grape juice or wine. Forty years. Why? God knows the dangers of it. That was an interesting to me. First Samuel <clears throat> chapter one, you know the story. Hannah wanted a child. She before the priest, she's praying without moving her lips or without saying anything. And Eli says, You're drunk. She's uh uh. I haven't drank no wine. Can't be drunk. Second Samuel 11, David had sinned. He'd taken another man's wife. And to try to cover up, he got Uriah drunk, hoping Uriah would go home and spend the night with his wife, just to cover his sin. If you were here last Sunday night, we were in, in Esther. And the king gave a banquet. 
And the Bible said everybody there was allowed to have all they wanted. And the sad thing is, the king was drunk when he commanded Vashti to come. And you know what that led to. In the 75th Psalm, the Lord's anger is pictured as mixed wine being poured out and drunk by the wicked. In Luke's Gospel, drunkenness will cause a person not to be ready for the Lord's return. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll come back to that later on. Peter talks about the past life of drunkenness. He talks about carousing. And Peter says that has no place in the life of a Christian. And that's only a few of the 75 when this goes on. Warnings about alcohol. So the bottom line is, and we all know this, alcohol has a potential to make you drunk. It has a potential to make you lose control. You restraint, your sense. And the Bible is very clear, without a doubt, drunkenness is without a doubt a sin. And for the Christian, drunkenness is unthinkable. It ought not be a part of our lives anytime for any reason. There is no excuse. The Bible says it's an outright sin. And the Bible says over and over again, avoid it at every cost. Peter wrote these words, I referred to it a moment ago, verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Peter said, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, there it is, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. And Peter says here, here's the, here's the deal, Peter says. I, I'm, I'm urging you as believers, to no longer live the way you used to live. Folks, Jesus makes a difference in our lives. And Peter says, you've already had enough time doing that. You had, you've, you've had enough time spent doing your life that way. In fact, you spent more than enough time in sin. Peter said it's time to come out of that. Peter said, set aside your old way of life and let's begin to move on. And I realized that as I read verse 3 of 1 Peter 4, why it's not the only thing there. There are other things listed. But all of these are examples of what does not please God. And one of them is, of course, drunkenness. Our text we read a moment ago in Proverbs 23 addresses that very plainly, very clearly. Woe, sorrow, contention, complaining, wounds for no reason, redness of eyes. You'll see strange, perverse things. (laughs) All of these things because of alcohol. May I say to you folks, drunkenness is a trap. It is a trap. And I gave some negative things about alcohol. Not going to be fair, both sides of the coin. There were some positive things, some positive uses in the old, in the Bible. In Leviticus and Exodus as well, we know that wine was used as a drink offering to the Lord. Leviticus twelve thirteen. 
His grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of flour mixed with oil. An offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. Notice this. And his drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. In the book of Judges, chapter 9, verse 13, we read that wine could be enjoyable. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, I'm sorry, should I leave my wine, which tears God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Could be enjoyable. So what are we saying? Well, first of all, you have to realize wine was a part of the daily life in the Bible. And there was a reason for that. It was used even for uh, medicinal purposes at times. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, one of the things the Good Samaritan did uh, to the man who was beaten alongside the road, he used wine as an antiseptic for his wounds. So the Bible does say a few, not very many, positive things about wine. So it has a place in society, but we can't forget it has the potential to be very highly damaging. But it's also interesting to me, even though wine was part of the daily life in the Bible times, there were some who would never drink wine. One of them was the high priest, Leviticus 10, verses 8 to 11. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. Shall be a statue forever throughout your generations, that ye may put difference between the holy and unholy, between the unclean and the clean, that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. God was very clear. He said, Aaron, let me tell you right now. This goes for you and your posterity. Any who follow you in a priesthood. It's very clear. If you drink any kind of alcohol in another tabernacle, you are going to die. It's a statute forever. Now, also understand. The priest had an awesome responsibility. And God did not want them to waver from that. And God knew any amount of wine could make you distort your judgments. So they had an awesome responsibility to teach the statutes of the Lord that the Lord had given to Moses to teach them to the people of Israel. That was their responsibility. But also part of that responsibility, and hear me well, those priests were expected To live lives that set standards for holy living. And God said wine can't be a part of that. Another group who would not drink wine. Now, by the way, we we know that not every Nazarite was a Nazarite for life. There were some. But those who took the Nazarite vow, however long that vow may have been, some were for life. They would not drink wine. Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made 
of the vine from kernels even to the husk. So we talked about the priestly, Levitical service, who had the privilege of, who belonged to the tribe of Levi. But now God institutes something else here. Those who are not part of the priesthood of the Levitical service. God said, any man or woman who wished to take a vow before the Lord, to consecrate himself or herself for a stated period of time to serve God, they could do so. And God says, a person that has made that choice, who has said, I want to consecrate myself by the woman or man, was called a Nazarite. From the Hebrew word Nazar means to dedicate. And the Bible says from that period of time, whatever it was, they were to abstain from fermented beverages and all other products of the vine. They were also not allowed to cut their hair or come near to a corpse. So this was a, a very devout vow for those who took the vow said, you know what? I agree to that. I will not drink any wine. Well, I'll take that vow. So you have the priests, those who take the Nazarite vow, but also kings. Back to Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes, strong drink. Let's say, drink and forget the law, pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink to them that are ready to perish, and wine to those that be heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So Lemuel, we're not sure that he was a king, he may have been, but nonetheless, his mother warns him about the dangers of alcohol. And the particular danger was... You could lose your, you could cloud your memory, you could cloud your judgment, and it would result in being unjust to people. Wine is not for kings. And yet he goes on that wine may be acceptable for, as anesthetic or drug. It can be used to deaden physical pain. It could be used to help with emotional bitterness. But she says, look, it may be okay for others to use it as a way to escape, but it's not okay for kings to live a higher life than that. Isaiah 5, Jason started the first part of that this morning. 22. No, he read from 55, I'm sorry. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. So here in Isaiah 5, God pronounces judgment for anyone who's in leadership who has allowed alcohol to affect their judgments. Can I get political for just a moment? 
I think this is one of the dangers going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Their minds are clad up some with alcohol. The priests, Nazarite vow. What about, what about pastors? First Timothy three verses two and three. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Verse 3, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, and not covetous. So a pastor is not given to wine. Now, I'll, I'll deal more in detail what that means next week. Because it means more than you read here at, at point blank. Not given to wine. Then you have deacons. First Timothy 3, verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave. Double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And we'll deal with that in more detail, Lord willing, next week. So my question is, why, why then is wine a problem for priests? Why is wine a problem for kings? Why is wine a problem for those who take the highest level of devotion? Why is it a problem for rulers and pastors and deacons? The reason is there's a warning there is because of the potential for drunkenness. Now, by the way, I didn't, didn't refer to this, but it did come to my mind this week. Do you remember Daniel when he first came into captivity? He purposed in his heart. He would not defile himself with the king's wine or the king's meat. You know why? Daniel says, I want to live a higher level of life. I want to live a higher level of life. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 5, verse 18. Look what he says. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In this section of that letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul is making a contrast of the before and after in the lives of believers. He shows us how we used to be and how we ought to be now. And getting drunk was associated with the old way of life. And It's selfish desire to satisfy the flesh. The Greek word for excess comes from adding just one letter, the letter A, which in the Greek is a negative participle, to a word that normally means saved. Now, if you were here for our study on millennialism, we talked about all millennial, the letter A, Made no millennial. And so this word for excess, same Greek word for being saved, but it adds the letter A. And it says, not saved. Interesting. 
Interesting. Talking about unsavedness. And by the way, I'll be honest. Uh, whoa. We're about done, believe it or not. A couple more, we'll be out of here. <laughs> in that day, there were a lot of false religions. And part of them said, if you're going to get in touch with your God, you've got to get drunk. You know, if you really want to get in touch with God, that's what you've got to do, man. You've got to get, get smashed. I don't know if they use that word or not, but that's what they meant. So that's part of what Paul was dealing with here. So I have no doubt that probably these believers already knew that drunkenness should not be part of their lives. And so Paul says, look, I want you to understand, you don't need to be drunk. In fact, you don't need to drink, you have the Holy Spirit. We've got something better. Far, far better. And Paul said that drunkenness leads to excess. Out of control. It means you're wasting your resources. You're wasting life yourself. And Paul says that ought to have no place in the life of a believer. And here's what's interesting. He contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk with the wine. Now I told you last week, I've never been drunk in my life. Don't plan to be. Don't need to be. I never understood how people, why people want to get high. I'm high on God. And Paul says, look, wine can give you a temporary high, but God can give an eternal high. God can lift your spirits like nothing else can. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need to get drunk. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, notice this, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. When I worked at General Motors, I had a friend of mine work with him, a Christian guy, a good guy, loved God. He was coming home one night. We worked till 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, sometimes a little tired, 3 o'clock in the morning. He was coming down Beachmont Avenue, kind of weaved a little bit, and the sheriff pulled him over. He said, sir, are you drinking? It's a new wine. He said, I realized I shouldn't have said that, because that sheriff had no idea what I was talking about. And, of course, it, I, I, remember, I don't remember his real name. We called him Skip. And I knew what he was talking about, but he almost got in trouble with the new wine. But Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. Still in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, I know we're about out of time. Let me hurry real quick. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again, you have a responsibility to live as a child of light. And we have to be very careful how we live. Our lives must please God. And we must ourselves, before believers, before, I'm sorry, before unbelievers, Live in such a way that Christ shines through us. That others might be drawn to him. And Paul says, don't live as the unwise, but live as wise. Paul says, take your knowledge of Christ. Apply it to your everyday life. And whatever you do, 
Be careful of how you conduct yourself among unbelievers. Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Real quickly, and I promise I'm done. In Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about walking wisely, not as a fool. And Paul says, if you're going to walk wisely, you're going to walk circumspectly. That's verse 15. He said, if you're going to walk wisely, you're going to redeem the time. That's verse 16. Paul says, if you're going to walk wisely, you've got to understand the will of the Lord. That's verse 17. And Paul says, if you're going to walk wisely, you can't be drunk with wine. That's verse 18. But he also says in verse 18, if you're going to walk wisely, you have to be filled with the Spirit. I hear you saying me right now, okay? <laughs> I don't usually call names, but I'm going to this morning. Friday night, we went out to eat. And I heard someone making a noise over the corner of Sandy and Mike. It's a good thing we went over there. They needed counseling. And so we, we enjoyed our time together. And I said, uh, as we left, I said, Sandy, get in a better mood. She said, I don't want to. I said, I have days like that. I, I confess, I have days like that. So this morning she comes in. I walk up to her. She says, I know. I'm already in a better mood. I said, you read my mind. I was going to ask you that question. Now, I said that to say this. You've heard me talk about alcohol. And everything I've said this morning about drunkenness. And you're thinking, well, preacher, I don't get drunk. What's wrong with having a drink here or there or sociably on my birthday? What's wrong? You got to come back next week. You got to come back next week. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you right now. I cannot show you a verse as bad as I want to. Well, the Bible says never take a drink. I can't show you that verse. But I think I can show you some principles that will make you, cause you, help you to make a wiser decision. To show you don't need that. But here's what I want you to know. Christ wants us to live for him. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. He wants our light to shine into a dark world. And whether you like it or not, whether it makes it right or not, there are some things, if we're not careful, we'll do in the name of Christian liberty that will drive unbelievers away. And one of them would be drinking. I can guarantee you that. And I would challenge all of us today. Be, let's be a Daniel. Let's draw a line in the sand. This far and no more. Let's live lives, holy lives before God. Allow him to fill you today with your spirit. Let's stand together. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, we confess we don't have all the answers. And I realize, Lord, it's hard to approach a subject like this without being biased. But Lord, you know my heart and I, and I really want to know God, I want to know what your word says. Lord, more than anything else, I'm looking forward to that day 
when I stand before my God and my Savior and I hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, I pray for all of us here this morning, Lord, not to become legalistic, but also not to cause, allow our liberties to cause someone else to stumble. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the heart of Christ. I pray especially this morning for the lost. Lord, I pray they would come. And yes, as Isaiah said in 55, come and buy water, milk, and wine without cost. Come to the water of life that you might have salvation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Rick, whenever you're ready, thank you, Lord.